bear with me as best you can and uh, bring God's word because it is his word that we come to hear. Amen. Yes. Amen. Let's open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the portion of scripture that we're going to go over today, and hopefully we'll be able to um, glean some information that Paul is maybe not really sharing with us, but we can glean some information as far as what he is saying to us. And he's really saying to us something that that he's talking about these two fellow co-workers. One is Timothy. And the other is Epaphroditus. And I'll share with you a little bit more about who these men are. But there's three, including Paul, that we can get an example from as far as men to imitate. People to imitate. But let me just read this first of all, and then we'll go from there. Okay? And I'm in in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 19. Well, you know, I'm going to start a little bit earlier than that. In verse 17, he says... Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by good by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, he's proven, his proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can. And as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be in less that I may be less anxious so receive him in the lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me father in heaven i just pray that we come to you this morning just gleaning some some information some ideas of who these men were and to find men just like this within our church and within our community that we can emulate, that we can imitate, that we can follow. And it's very important, Lord, to understand just the things that we need to do as a church, as we grow together, the, the example that we lead, and men and people follow us, whether it's a good example or a bad example. So I pray, Lord, that you give us the direction this morning and show us these three men of great worth and value. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about 
the various things that, uh, how to work out our salvation. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. If you remember correctly, we talked about working our salvation out, number one, with fear and trembling. Number two, by submitting to God's work. Number three, by obeying as God's children. Number four, by shining as lights in the world. And the fifth one I, I pointed out was living as a sacrificial rejoicer. John MacArthur calls Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, the sacrificial rejoicer. It's not necessarily a word as much as it is an action, as what he did. And, and, and if you look at Philippians, as we've been looking at it, Paul is rejoicing in all circumstances. He's in prison, he's been beat up, he's been left for dead, and here he is rejoicing and really just having a, a great time conveying the message to the, the church in Philippi. <clears throat> and as he does so, he says, you know, I, I've been in prison, I've been held back, but yet you sent me some help. And the person they sent to him was Epaphroditus. And I'll talk a little bit more about him just a little bit. But they sent him because they trusted Epaphroditus. They trusted who he was. And they knew that he was a soldier. And they knew that he was a servant and a minister and a messenger all at once. And so Paul, what he did is he, he, sends, he sends a letter back. He says, I know that you guys heard that he was sick. I know that you guys are distressed. And your distress is causing me distress. Because you're distressed that he's in, 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 uh, Ill, Ill, in ailment and he is sick. And I don't want you to be so stressed out at the fact that, you know, if God wants to take him home, he can take him home. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, you know, thoroughly, Paul, he had healed people. Paul, people would bring handkerchiefs to him. Paul would walk and by the shadow, people would be healed. I don't know if you remember that or not, but Paul was the type of person that had faith in God and God used him to heal other people to authenticate the gospel. Now, why it wasn't so with Epaphroditus, his fellow worker, his soldier, his messenger, why it wasn't so with Epaphroditus that Paul didn't just reach out his hand and heal him or what, what happened, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that when Paul is talking to us about Epaphroditus, what he is saying is, you know, it was by God's mercy that he was healed. It's always God's mercy, not man's hand, not my prayer, not my church or not anything that I can do, but it's by the mercy of God that he heals people. Let's talk about Paul. Paul the sacrifice. Well, first of all, let me just share a couple of verses with you before I go there. Paul, Paul is, is the person that, that we've talked about before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want you to do this. I want you to follow my example. You know, Paul was the type of man that can boldly say with confidence that I'm doing the best I can to follow Christ's example. And when we talked about this last week <clears throat> on how to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it almost gives us this, uh, and, and the week before that, we talked about how Jesus Christ humbled himself, and he humbled himself unto death. He came down from being God to being man. He came down from being man to being put on the cross. He, he, he came down from being put on the cross to death, the lowliest death that you can receive, anybody can ever receive. And the Bible tells us that this is how Paul is telling us to copy, be like-minded, be like Christ. And when we look at that high lofty calling to look at Christ and say, I don't know if I could ever do that. That is kind of a, a hard model to follow, but I'm commanded to. And so this portion of scriptures I mentioned here just a little bit ago, it doesn't necessarily say this as far as, you know, Paul is using this as an example, but we can use this as an example for our lives. Because when we see men like these three and realize that they were all uh, just the way out in the world, Paul was a murderer. He was totally against Jesus Christ. He was imprisoning Christians and taking away their possessions and he approved of Stephen's death. 
and the stoning. And, and he was the type of person that was zealous for ritual and, and legalism. He was the type of person that was very on fire for making sure that all your T's were crossed and your I's were dotted. He was the type of person that didn't care what anybody else's feelings was like as long as you follow the law. Okay. And you see, and Timothy, as we'll find out, he was a, a Greek. He was, half, he was a half-breed. He was Jew by his mother's side, and he was Greek on his father's side. And because Paul had him circumcised later in life after he committed his life to Christ, it is probably evident that Timothy grew up in the Greek culture. So he grew up in the Greek culture with all the gods and all the, all the wine and all the prostitution and all the things that, that involved Greek culture worship. And he was involved in all of this, this stuff that probably many of us were involved at one time. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is loved by Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Roman god Venus, and, uh, and, and so he was loved by Aphrodite, or, or Venus, in a sense. And so he was, he was also a Greek. He was also a pagan. He was also a heathen. He was also out on the outskirts. So these are men that we can probably relate to a little bit better than we can Jesus Christ. Because these three men, as I'm sharing with you, are men that were at one time lost. At one time without Christ, without salvation. But here, what Paul is sharing with us is he's sharing with us on what these three men were able to give not only him, but the church and the people in Rome. Now remember, Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. Timothy is there with him. Epaphroditus is sent to Paul to bring some ministry, some, some care, some nurture. And Paul says, you know, to the people in Corinth, I want you to be an imitator of me. I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be imitators of me. He tells the people in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he's talking about those people that are following Paul, that are trying to follow Christ, knowing that they have these faults and failures and fumbles, and yet they are doing the best they can to pursue the holiness of God. And in Philippians 4.9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And he yeah. says, you know, these are the things that I want you to follow. These are the things that I want you to do. These are the things that, I, just in the same way that I learned these from Jesus Christ himself, just in the same way that we've learned them by the other apostles, I want you to learn them from me. One of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, in which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others as well. So the example, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now anybody, we can compare ourselves to all kinds of different people. And generally, when we try to compare ourselves to somebody, we always try to find somebody that's less than us. And we always say something to the effect of, well, you know, at least I'm not like that guy. And we never try to compare ourselves to people like other people. Well, you know, at least I'm not like that guy. We don't say that. But when we need to find an example, a biblical model is great to follow. And this, this is why I'm sharing this with you, that these are men that we can imitate. Now, ladies, understand that this is just not the imitation of men as well. But I think every one of us can receive the word of Paul as we go through this portion of Scripture. Number one, I shared this with you last week. John MacArthur was the one who called Paul the sacrificial rejoicer. The sacrificial rejoicer. And he says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all 
Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. <coughs> Nothing characterizes Paul's life and ministry more than love. He loved the Lord. He loved the work. He loved his people. He loved the church. And all he did was he wanted, he loved people. He loved the unsaved. He loved those that he touched and he, and he went around ministering to. He loved people. His heart was just so overfilled with joy that even in prison, he would say, rejoice with me. I am being poured out. He says, you know, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I mentioned to you this last week that a drink offering was generally brought to the altar with the sacrificial lamb or a pigeon or a dove or whatever the case may be. And they would pour this drink offering over the altar as, as, some, as either water or milk or honey or something of a drink offering. And it was offered up to God in a sense that it would be pleasing, a pleasing aroma. And it would burn and it would smell good. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, warmed milk and the, just the sweet smell of it or cinnamon or water or whatever the case may be. But it, it just has this nice aroma and it's got a soothing effect of the steam. And, and so that was part of the sacrificial offering. Paul says, you know, I am being poured out even now. Yeah. I am being poured out. And I want you to know that as I'm being poured out, even if, even if it's to the death, I want you to know that I, that I am glad, he says, and I am rejoicing with you all. So don't worry about me being in prison. He says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, if I can be a sacrificial rejoicer, I want you to be a sacrificial rejoicer. You know, we cannot wonder or even stop to wonder why Paul had such great confidence in his own example as to why he was so confident in what he was doing because, because he was the type of person that that try to do everything as best as possible. Paul had no jealousy. He had no anger, except for when, when things were unrighteous. Paul had no idea as to what it was anymore to do his own thing, because his whole purpose in life was to do what Jesus Christ called him to do. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am the foremost. Paul, the writer of 13 epistles. Paul, the super apostle, planted all these churches. He says, you know, I'm telling you, Timothy, and I want you to know this, that I'm telling you this from prison. I'm writing to you, Timothy, and I want you to know, be a good pastor, be a good leader, be a good servant. And, and, and you know, because Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like me, which I want you to know, Timothy, I am the most, I am the foremost, I am the chief of sinners, he says. That is true humility. It's unfortunate that many people cannot call themselves chief sinners. That's one of the reasons why the Jewish people could not accept Jesus Christ. Because he came in to save that which was lost. And the Jewish people thought, we're not lost. He came to save those who were sinners. We're not sinners. We obey the law. He came to save those that were outcasts. We're not outcasts. We belong to Abraham. He came to save those that didn't have a father. They believed Abraham was their father. They followed the law to the T, but they missed the whole point. This is the reason they couldn't accept Jesus Christ. Paul finally came to that conclusion. He says, you know, I, I am a sinner. I am a wretched soul. I am so depraved. I know I am. I need a Savior. See, the good news cannot be shared with somebody who already thinks they have the good news. The good news cannot be given unless they understand and know the bad news. And the bad news is that we're all sinners. And none of us are going to make it into heaven without the blood of Christ. That's the good news. When you place your faith 
and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you because you are a sinner. That's the good news. And our response should be as, as equal as, it, if not even more so, than Paul's. Paul says, I, I, I must. You know, woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. You wretched soul that I am. If I don't, pre- if I don't preach the gospel, I, I'm afraid what's going to happen. And we have to continually look at ourselves and seeing that we are need to be focused on the gospel message. As I said earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says the same thing almost in 1 Corinthians 4, 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And then he says again in 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, it was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. See, Paul is saying, I've given you an example. We've given you an example. Imitate my example. I'm wondering how many of us can actually say that. I want you to follow my example because I'm following the example of Christ. Not just on Sunday morning, but I want you to follow my example on Sunday night and Monday while I go to work and on Monday night when I come home from work. On Tuesday morning when I wake up in the morning, I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we can all say, you know, follow my example as I go to church this morning. Come on, come with me. But for a lot of people, it just stays that, it just stops there. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what Paul is saying, you know, we've given you an example. We're living that example. We're going the extra mile to show you this example. We are showing you and, and offering to you what it is to be the sacrificial offering, a sacrificial rejoicer. You give your life for the gospel. You give your life for Jesus Christ and you give it in a sacrificial sense and then you rejoice because of it. For us, a lot of the things that we do that are sacrificial, it's painful and we don't like pain, right? We don't like pain, right? I don't know. Okay, I don't like pain. I don't like anything that causes pain emotionally, physically. I don't like pain that's spiritually. You know, and I think the worst type of pain is the emotional pain, the mental stress. The mental pain that we get because of people that have hurt us, people that have wronged us, people that have, or things, things just didn't go our way. Yeah. And we get upset and we get sad and we get mad. And Paul says, you know what? You need to follow my example in everything because God is weaving everything together to cause all things to work together for good. All things. Not that all things are good, but he's causing all these things to work together for good for you. To accomplish his purpose in your life. To accomplish what it is that he's doing. And so he says, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. I want you to know this, that all the things that I've gone through, that I'm rejoicing. And and apart from just such blessings of being sacrificial service to the Lord is, is in itself a privilege and a cause for rejoicing. See, believers are not to rejoice in spite of suffering, but we ought to rejoice because of suffering. See, a lot of people say, okay, I'm suffering. Well, since I'm suffering, I might as well rejoice while I'm here. You know, this is what we've been called to do. No, no, we don't rejoice in spite of it. We rejoice because of it. And what happens is that we have to understand that, that there's some things that are just going to happen to us because of the gospel message. Now, somewhere, somewhere along the line, Paul says something to the effect of, if I have to be suffering because of something that I did wrong, what kind of suffering is that? I mean, if I did something wrong, well, of course, it's due justice. I should suffer for that. And many people want to try to mistake that for the suffering for Christ. 
But many of us don't have the ability, or we have not yet come to the point in our life where we actually suffer for doing the work of Christ, which we have to get to that point where we have to realize that eventually we will be suffering for the work of Christ. You know that in Iran, if Christians evangelize, they will be put in prison. But you know what the Iranians say? We're going to evangelize anyways. You know, in India, if they evangelize, the crowds will beat them to death. But they stand up and they say, you know what? I'm going to evangelize anyways. In China, they say if we evangelize, they will forcibly take out body parts for organ transplants if they catch you evangelizing in China. But they say, we will evangelize anyway. Here in the United States, they say, if we evangelize, we're going to feel awkward. So, you know, and I don't want to offend anybody, so I just won't do it. We have to think about the purpose of why you're here. The gospel message is the most important message that you can preach. I can preach it from the pulpit. I get many opportunities to preach the gospel. I've done funerals and weddings and gatherings. Got another one coming up here pretty soon. And and I always ask, you know, can I preach the gospel? But you know, even no one's ever said no. But they don't understand what it is that I'm going to share. You know, and and I, and I share the gospel message. Might be the only time these people ever hear the gospel message. And it's not up to me is what the results are. But, but if in China and in Iran and India, if these Christian believers know that their life is in danger and they do it anyways, in the United States, we don't want to do it because, well, first of all, I'll feel uncomfortable. And second of all, you know, I just might offend somebody. I'm not really too sure what happened here. See, the gospel message is to be proclaimed from the pulpit, every opportunity, by every believer, not only from the pulpit, but from the pulpit of your life. From where you are. This is why last week we said, you know, I said, you know, you need to be a light in the world. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation as a light into the world. Work out your salvation as a sacrificial rejoicer. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, but work it out. Work it out. And the God of peace will give you the words and everything you need to be able to accomplish the task that he's given you. See, these men, Peter, Paul, uh, all, all these men, they were preaching the gospel and, and they, they were arrested and they were brought into the, the council and they told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, you know, who are we going to obey, you or God? God said to do this and so we're doing this. And they said, well, you know what we're going to do? They say in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 41, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. <laughs> Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing. Selfless service for Christ is a sacrifice only in the sense of being an offering to God. It is never a sacrifice in the sense of being a loss. It's not a sacrifice that you lose. You know, I had to give this up. No, it's only a sacrifice when you offer it to God. And you know, Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, we have 
greater things that are coming for us and to us. In Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> in James chapter 1, and we talked about this verse last week, the next two verses, we said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James, the one that was cut up and left for dead. Somebody can go check that. Thank you, Ken. James, the one that knew what all these Christians were going through. When the dispersion hit, when Paul had approved of Stephen stoning, and they went after the Christians, they went after them in Jerusalem first. James knew these men were, his church had just dispersed everywhere. And he sent after them, and he sent word to them saying, I want you to count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. James was not talking about, you know, driving down the road and, you know, having somebody cut you off. Oh, that was a trial. James is not talking about not being able to find a parking lot in this heat sun, in the summer heat. That's not what he's talking about. James is not talking about getting disrespected or, or somebody calling you names. That's not what he's talking about. Or getting fired or getting your house broken into. Or whatever the case may be. Those aren't the trials that James is talking about. He is talking about the trials that the people in China, the people in India, and the people in Iran are going through. Those are the trials James is talking about. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. We have no clue as to how to respond to something like that as of yet. In 1 Peter 4.13 in every one of these apostles, in every one of these writings and letters, they're always encouraging the Christians, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. You know, we don't have to go through that kind of suffering. We really don't. And I, I pray that it never, never does happen here. But because it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least step out in faith and proclaim the gospel. Amen? Amen. You see, you see, there's a lot of this going on in the world, and it doesn't seem to be happening here in the United States. But here in the United States, because we have the liberty to do so, most people don't do it. Yeah. We're afraid. We're scared. Indeed, all who Second Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what does he say? Will be persecuted. It's just a given. See, that was Paul. Paul is a sacrificial rejoicer. Paul was a super apostle. Some of you are thinking, you know, I don't know if I can go that far. I don't know if I can do the things that Paul did. But see, with Paul, Paul, you know, he was just that one type of person that was, was spirit-filled. And every time he said something, he said something by the word of God. And every time he proclaimed something, he proclaimed it because the Spirit empowered him to do so. And he gave him the strength to do so. But, you know, he, Paul had this sidekick, this son that he raised up. And his son's name was Timothy. Timothy. Timothy is the faithful son, the faithful son. <coughs> and I want to call him the fat son. You're probably wondering why. <laughs> Does it say anywhere that he was fat? Fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. 
Faithful, available, and teachable. That, that came to me from my pastor, Daniel Sotelo, years ago. And then he translated it in Spanish. He said, feo, uh, fiel, oh, I, I forget how he said it. Anyways, he had it in Spanish as well. Fat and ugly, feo means ugly, fat and ugly. <laughs> and, but basically, Timothy was a faithful, available disciple. He says in verses 19 through 24, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul had this idea that maybe he was going to be let go. He was in prison. He says, you know, I I want to go too. And and I'm going to wait to send Timothy, but I want him to travel with me. So I'm going to be sending Timothy with myself. Maybe me and him will come see you. See, because Timothy has been my sidekick. Timothy was, as I mentioned, uh, half Jew and half Greek. Timothy's name, uh, he was half, because he was half Jew, he wasn't, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't allowed into the temple. But what Paul did is he had him circumcised so that it gives him the privilege and the rights that the Jewish people had to go into the temple and to be able to uh, minister to the people that Paul was trying to reach. And Paul says, I, you know, I, I have this news. There's no, and, and this is interesting. Out of all the people that Paul knew, he says, for I have no one like him. So something about Timothy was really dear to Paul's heart. There's no one like him. There was no one like Timothy. And so there was something unique about his heart because he says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, you don't have to be a Paul and go out there and get yourself all beat up and thrown in prison. But I think you can be a Timothy. Amen. Can you be a Timothy to be genuinely concerned for the church, for the people that aren't here? Make a phone call, drop a letter, drop a line, say a prayer. Can you can you genuinely be concerned for those that you don't see anymore here? Or how about being genuinely concerned for parts of your family and friends that don't know Jesus Christ? Because you know, you know as well as I've been telling you that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and if he returns, there is no second chance. They need to hear the gospel. And you might not be able to proclaim and preach the gospel to them as eloquently as I can or anybody else can. Not that I can do it eloquently, but I I do my best in sharing the gospel. You know, you may not be able to to be that type of an evangelist, but you got the words because you got the word. It's the word. But you can be genuinely concerned for that person, for those people. We need people with compassion here in this church. We need people with compassion and are willing to stand for the truth in the church. This last week, somebody asked the question. We were in Bible study, and they asked, uh, Pastor, how come come a lot of people don't come to our church? And then somebody responded, because they don't like to hear the truth. (laughs) Well, you know, and I says, well, that's true as well. You know, but I know that there are a lot of people out there that want to hear the truth. I I know there is, because you do. Amen? There's people out there just like you. There are people out there just like you that want to hear the truth. But I, I personally believe that it's the reason God hasn't sent the people here yet is because we're not ready. We're not, we're not ready. I, I think we are genuinely concerned with people. One of the things that came up while we were discussing this, is somebody said, you know, I, I, when I came to this church, I felt loved. I felt wanted. I felt like this is, this is home. 
you know, there weren't that many people, but I still felt love. You have that genuine concern, as Timothy does, that love and, and, and devotion to one another. And, and you bring people in and you include them. And for some people, that's overwhelming. But we have to continue to love one another. Paul says, you know, he says, I'm genuinely concerned. He says, for I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And one of the things I see within our church is there's people that are concerned. You are concerned for people and other people's welfare. Always giving, always offering, always being available. As a matter of fact, um, one, of the, one of the greatest ministries we have now is, uh, and, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we got donuts today. Somebody... Somebody was, concerned, somebody was concerned for you guys. Says, yeah, I'm going to bring donuts. Amen. <laughs> you know, see, see how concerned people are for you? <laughs> for they all seek. And this is what Paul is talking about. All the other people. Remember, we talked about this here uh, a few weeks ago in verse, uh, it was, what is it, 16? Yeah, 15, I think it is. Verse, verse 16. Indeed, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. What Paul is saying here is there's some people that do it out of their own selfish reasons. But they preach Christ, as long as they preach Christ. And this is what he says here, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know what? As long as they're preaching Christ and, and they're seeking it for their own interests, they've already received their reward. That's all they get. That's all they get. But you know Timothy. He says, you know him. He has proven worth. In other words, he's been tested in the fire. He's been tested. He's been right alongside me. And he's, he's come alongside. And he's still here, even though I'm in prison. And he knows that he could be next. And yet he's still here. And he's followed me. And he's mimicked me. And he's imitated me. And he's giving to you all that I have given to him. And Timothy has, has been the pastor of the church. And he continues to grow in the faith. Timothy's proven worth. You've seen him. How as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. He called Timothy his son. This is my son. I don't know how many kids Paul had, if any. We know that Paul must have been married. We don't know if he was married. But in order to be a Pharisee like the way he was before Jesus Christ knocked him to the ground, before you know, a Pharisee had to have children or at least a wife, a family, a house. And so I don't know exactly how many kids he had, who his wife was, if he was married or divorced or what, what happened to his wife. But here we hear that Timothy was his spiritual son. And Paul was willing to invest in this young man's life because he knew that out of that, it's going to just continue to grow. And he says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And so Paul was worried. He was concerned. He was concerned about all the things that were, were having to take place. See, and, and Timothy, his beloved son, my faithful child, he calls him in 1 Corinthians 14. In Romans, he calls him my fellow worker, my brother, uh, my bondservant. Timothy was faithful, he was available, and he was teachable. Timothy, even though he was faithful and available, even though he, he had all those qualities about him, um, he says in 1 Corinthians uh, 4.16 in your outlines, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. When Paul sent Timothy out, Paul was assured that everything that he taught Timothy, that when they saw Timothy, guess what? They were going to see Paul. And when they saw Paul, they were going to see Jesus Christ. And so this is how it works out. Every one of us are a disciple. We're all building somebody up. It all depends 
How are you building them up? People are following you, whether you like it or not. They are looking at you, whether you like it or not. They are mimicking you. They're imitating you, whether you like it or not. My question is, what are they imitating from you? Anxiety or total dependence on God? Are they they, uh, mimicking your prayer life or your worried life? What are they mimicking? More things are caught than they are taught. Okay. See, I can teach you, teach you, teach you, but you're only going to you're only going to pick up much of what you see in my life. Okay. Many things are caught than they are taught. Okay. Timothy was generally concerned for their welfare, and, and he and he had this love for Jesus Christ. And, and you know, in uh, in First Thessalonians two four it says, "But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel." So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. And when God was testing, (coughs) excuse me, when God was testing Timothy, he saw that. He saw that he was a servant. He was a servant and he was tested and he was ready to go. Just like gold. Just like gold is tested. They served the Lord together, him and Paul. They ran together. They loved together. There was no competition. They knew what the other person needed. They knew what the other person lacked. And they knew what, how they can come up beside them and hold each other up. That's the way Paul trained Timothy. Timothy was not without faults, though. Timothy was not, he had frailties. Despite his divine calling and spiritual gifts, he lacked some self-confidence, the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he was tempted with his youthful passions. Uh, in the second letter to the apostle, in 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul tells him, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He will be a vessel vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions, Timothy. I know you have these youthful passions. I know you're a young man. I know there are things going on in your life, but flee those things. Get away from them. Timothy had failings. He had faults. He had things that, that were going on in his life. Apparently, Timothy was at a low point in his personal life. He had victories and defeats and satisfactions and disappointments and happiness and sadness. But he heeded Paul's counsel when he said to him in 2 Timothy 3.14, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And in 2 Timothy 4.2, he tells him, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and kindness. And then in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul says, stop putting, stop putting all that stuff in front of you. You're young, you're inexperienced. People were dogging him because he was a young man. Paul says, don't let them, don't let them dog you like that. Don't let them look down on you because of your youth. He, was, he had this ulcer, supposedly, or something was going on with the stomach. Paul says, you know, you need to drink a little bit of wine to calm your, your nerves or, or whatever it is that you're going through. Just take a little bit of medication to, to calm you down. Peter wasn't, excuse me, Timothy wasn't, you know, this super apostle like Paul was. You know, Paul was a super apostle, but Timothy, I think we can all relate to him. We can relate to him a little bit better, Right? So we have Jesus Christ, our prime example. We have Paul, the super apostle that we can imitate. And then we have Timothy that, you know, that, that is kind of like the sidekick, and, and he becomes a great leader in the church. And then we have our last person, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, the seasoned veteran. 
Number three, the seasoned veteran. And I'm going to read verses 25 through 30 all over again. I have thought it necessary to, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. You see, I don't know what kind of ailment he had, but there was something going on with Epaphroditus. He was sick, near to the point of death. Listen to this. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So so the people in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul to minister to him. While he was there, he was out more than likely preaching the gospel to a COVID-infested community. I don't know. He was out preaching the gospel to a... Uh, maybe a leprous community or somebody, there might have been some sort of sickness or typhoid or something going on in that area where he was preaching the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel, he got sick. He contacted some kind of disease or something and he got sick to the point of death. And Paul says to him, Paul says to the people, you guys are worried about him. You guys heard that he's sick and he's, he's going to die, possibly. But don't be distressed. And again, as I said earlier, Paul could have got up and started praying, laying hands on him, anointing him with oil and all kinds of things, but he didn't. Or I don't know if he even tried, to be honest with you. All I know is that he was sick. He was sick and Paul didn't heal him, didn't cure him, didn't anything. It was God, he says, it was God who had mercy. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me as well. Because first of all, if my Epaphroditus were to, were to pass away, or my Timothy were to pass away, the person that I, I, I count on the most, if they, it, it would cause me a lot of strain. It would cause a lot of heartache on our life, in your life. And we need to build these men up. As a matter of fact, as Paul is talking about this, he says, you've got to follow these men. Honor, he says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men. And let them raise up and let them, let them become the leaders that God's called them to be. Help them. Pray for them. He was a spiritual servant. He was a leader in the church. And he belonged to the church in Philippi. And, and they trusted him and they sent him to Paul. You see what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> he says, share in suffering as a good soldier. There's three things that Paul says, first of all. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Actually, five things. Paul called him a brother. A brother that nobody else can call brother. We call each other brother every once in a while. We say, hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, bro. You know, uh, in the biker community and in some certain circles, they say, don't bro me until you know me. I'm not your brother. Okay, and that, that is the same thing in, in the uh, in the military. You know, you just don't you just don't go up to some go up to somebody and call him a bro. Hey, bro. You know, it's they don't take it real lightly. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened here, but in the same sense, you just didn't call somebody a brother unless he was genuinely your brother, <coughs> and not necessarily brother by by blood, but brother, but brother by spiritual senses. 
And what Paul says here, he says, you know, I, I wanted to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Yeah. He is my bro. He's really my brother. I can count on him yeah. better than I can count on my fleshly brother. Yeah. I can count on him better than anybody else in the world. Do you have yeah. an Epaphroditus in your life? Yeah. Can you be an Epaphroditus to somebody? Can you be that person that somebody can count on and call you their brother, their sister? And, and somebody that, that, again, he says, and a fellow worker that you can work side by side with. We all need somebody to work side by side with. And we need to strive together, as we said earlier, a few weeks ago, as an athlete strives and, and, and we, we strive together and we work together and we work as a team. And we work as a team together. You know, there's some things that have to take place here pretty soon. We were going to have a business meeting today, but my wife is still not feeling well. And so we postponed until next week. But we need to talk about how to build this team to work together, to go together, and to strive together, and how to be able to understand what it is that God's called us to do. We have to be fellow workers. But there's another thing that Paul calls them. He calls them a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier, uh, you, know, you know, one that was willing to go to the mat. I will do whatever it takes, Paul. I will do whatever it takes to get the gospel message across. You know, if, if somebody takes you out, I'm going to stand right there as well. But in, in, as a soldier in Rome, you can, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 300. There was only 300 men that went up against this huge army that came up against Greece. And this, these 300 men, they, they fought and they fought side by side and they held them back. And they were able to do so because of their strategic standing, their spears, their swords, and how they stood up to this, uh, this army in a very narrow gate. They knew exactly where to stand, how to fight, how to protect themselves, and how to protect the person to the left of them. The way they held their spears, the way they held their swords, the way they held their shields. We have to be accountable to each other. We have to work with one another. This backbiting, I'm not saying that we have backbiting, but this backbiting that happens within churches, this gossiping, this, this type of anger and resentment and bitterness that goes on within churches, that has to be put aside. You know, this slander, this, this all kinds of other things. You know, if there's, you have something wrong with somebody, just go and talk to them. Just talk to them. Because that's what the enemy uses to tear us apart. But as a fellow soldier, he says, I can tr- you know, I trust him with my life. Paul says, I, I trust Epaphroditus with my life. He's that fellow soldier. Yeah. And, and he's also your messenger. You sent him, and he's your messenger to me. But guess what? He is also a minister to my needs. He came and he ministered to me. He, he tended my needs. He, he fed me. He clothed me. He helped me. He gave me water to drink. And he tended to my whatever it was that he was, he was there to Amen. minister to Amen. his needs. Amen. You may not be... One like Paul. You may not be one like Timothy. Amen. You may not, you, you, but you, you can be an Epaphroditus. One that works behind the scenes. We don't know anything about Epaphroditus except for what Paul says here. Amen. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. He, he wasn't a, we don't know if he was a teacher, a leader, a church pastor, or anything. All we know is what, what Paul tells us right here. And that is sufficient. That is sufficient. And you see, it's not like Paul is telling us here, I want you to do it like this, but he's just naming these men. And himself as well. And he's talking about, but we can glean from that the things that our church needs to be. Either men like Paul, people like Timothy, or people like Epaphroditus. This is why in 2 Timothy 2, 3, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
And the last thing I want to share with you is Philippians chapter 2, 2 verses 4. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you think maybe Paul was talking about Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus? Complete my joy. Be like-minded. Look, here are three men from three walks of life. And we'll come together. We're like-minded. We have the same mind. We're having the same love. We're in accord with one mind. And if we can do it, you can do it as well. One of the beauties about having a Bible study on Wednesdays and any other time of the week that we can have is that we we start to become like-minded. We start to become one mind. And we work together and we strive together to become what Christ has called us to be. You know, Jesus Christ changed the world with 12 men. I believe we can change this community with just three of us. Just three of us, four of us. There's more of us here. See, because it's not you or me or my gifts or your gifts. It's what Jesus Christ is going to do through us when we (coughs) submit ourselves to him. Are you ready? You ready? Now let's all stand. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Because if you're ready, guess what? Jesus is saying, okay, that's all I was waiting for. If you're ready, <laughs> I'm ready to pour out the Spirit and get you guys going. Right. It's long overdue, amen? Yes. amen. Uh, you can hobble on up if you want, and it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, but Jesus Christ is ready to do an amazing work so in this area of, Jesus, of San Bernardino. Father in heaven, thank you once again for just giving us a prime example of three men that loved you with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength. They loved you, God, in such a way, and they loved your people. They not only loved your people, but they even loved the unsaved, those that nobody else wants to love. They loved those that, that were willing to listen to the gospel message. And Lord, I pray that you prepare us for what it is that you're going to do in our life. There's so much more that is in store for us. I just pray, Lord, that you just keep us going in the same direction. Help us, Father, as, as uh, we get discouraged and distressed. But Lord, help us not to be discouraged or distressed. But we are at times discouraged and we are at times distressed. But help us to understand, Lord, that you are still in control and you are at the the wheel of all things that are going on. So, Lord, I just pray, I pray that uh, you give us a clear understanding of your word today, that we can apply it to our life. And we pray, God, that you just continue to walk with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen Amen and amen. All right. Praise God. God bless you, Pastor, and your wife. All right. We'll quit a little earlier. Literally, I'm just uh, barely making it.